Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Memories are made around meals. Memories are made around meals. Think about Thanksgiving with family gathered. Maybe a cookout with friends on the 4th of July. A special anniversary dinner that you go to with a friend or a wife or a husband. A wedding reception with guests. Memories are made around meals. There was no more special meal for the Jewish people than Passover. And it was a meal that was so special that it was ordained by God himself. In Exodus 12, this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. This meal that commemorated the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. This meal was to be celebrated every year. And and this meal of Passover had a lot of special parts to it. It would open with prayer, thanking God for his deliverance and protection and blessing. There would be the first of four cups that would be shared, known as the cup of blessing. There would be a ceremony of washing hands, symbolizing the, the cleansing of sin. They would eat bitter herbs dipped in pieces of bread, and they would sing parts of Psalm 113 and 114, the first two of the Hillel Psalms. They would then drink the second cup. The father of the family or the head of the table would explain the meaning of Passover, and then they would partake of the main meal, which was roasted lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and unleavened bread. They would partake of a third cup, and then they would sing the final Hallel Psalm, Psalm 115 through 118, and then they would end with partaking of the fourth and final cup. Jesus had celebrated the Passover meal all of his life, over 30 years of celebrating this Passover, but things were going to change, and Jesus was going to radically alter the Jewish Passover meal. The Last Supper was about to become the First Communion. No longer looking back at freedom from slavery, but looking back at freedom from sin. No longer remembering the blood of a lamb applied to doorposts, but the blood of the Lamb of God applied to our lives. No longer remembering the death angel that passed over those homes, but remembering the judgment of God that has passed over me because of Jesus. No longer partaking of a lamb at dinner time, but worshiping the lamb of God, the fulfillment of the Passover. There was no more important meal for the Jew than Passover. There is no more important meal for the Christian than communion. You may say, well, it ain't much of a meal, Pastor Scott. Oh, it's much more than a meal. For the elements point to our Savior. And the meal is not about satisfying the stomach, but satisfying the soul. We see this Last Supper 
recorded in the Gospels. And before we read one of those accounts, what I want to do is I want to invite you in to enter into the room with me. I want you to sit in a corner and I want you to listen to the words that will be spoken by our Lord. I want you to observe the actions he will take. I I, I want you to prepare to eventually pass that cup and pass that bread along with them. The account that we are going to see this morning is in Luke chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 22. They are in the upper room. And we read in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. Verse 14 of Luke chapter 22. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup, a cup, many believe this is the first of those four cups of Passover. And again, given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. Many believe this would have been the third cup of Passover. And after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The most sacred of meals. What do we learn about this most sacred of meals? This is the first thing I learn. It points to God's plan from eternity past. Say that with me. It points to God's plan from eternity past. We see in verse 14, when the hour had come. Yes, it's the hour of sunset on Thursday night. Yes, it's the hour beginning the week-long celebration of Passover. Yes, it's the hour of partaking in the Passover meal. But it is so much more than that. This is the hour that he has anticipated his entire life. This is the hour why Jesus Christ came to earth as God in the form of man. This is the hour. Listen to the words spoken leading up to the Passover celebration in the book of John. John 12. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for, but for this hour, I, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. The next chapter in John 13. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The hour is the hour of death. The hour is the hour of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. The hour is the culmination of the Father's divine plan from eternity past for the redemption of humanity to save your soul and to save my soul. This is the hour. The most sacred of meals points to God's plan from eternity past, and the most sacred of meals involves the fellowship and friends of friends and family. 
Say that with me. It involves the fellowship of friends and family, the family of God. It says here that he reclined at the table and his apostles with him. So there was time around a table. The most famous painting of the Last Supper by da Vinci is probably not the most accurate. That's not typically how people eat all on one side of a table. Everybody in the most dramatic pose at the exact same time. And the table probably would not have been raised. More likely, they were reclining on a floor, on cushions, around a table, which would have been the cultural norm, something like that, this, of that day. There is a time around a table. There, there, there is time with friends. It says the apostles are gathered. Now, you have to understand something about these men. They are gathered together. They've been together. They've been following the Lord together. Three years serving the Lord together. Traveling the countryside together. For three years living together. And you've got quite a variety of guys here. Matthew gives us the list of these 12. Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother. And Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas. And Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. And, and, and we know what some of their backgrounds were, but not all of them. We know quite a few of them were fishermen, at least four. It's been suggested maybe others. We're unsure of what most of them did. It's been suggested maybe Bartholomew uh, was of royal blood because of his name and what it means. And we're told Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for Rome. We're told Simon was a zealot. He hated Rome. How'd you like to put those two guys next to each other at dinner? One's a staunch Democrat. One's a staunch Republican. And Jesus calls them both to be his children and serve him. One worked for the government. One hated the government. And then we have Judas, the betrayer, the phony, the faker. There's Judases among us today in every church. You come across like you're a believer in Jesus, but you are not. Maybe raised in a Christian home, but you've never placed your faith in the Lord. Maybe even serving in an important ministry in a church. Judas was serving God, and he was not a believer. I ask you, please don't play games with God anymore. Repent of your sin and come to know the Savior. These men living together, serving together, traveling together, eating together, and at times arguing together. Like, who's the greatest? And who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the left? I want you to notice Jesus didn't choose perfect people, but Jesus saw potential in people. Jesus doesn't choose perfect people. He wouldn't have chosen me. And he wouldn't have chosen you. But he sees potential in people. You may not like another Christian, but God does. You may not like that other Christian, but God does. And he sees potential in them, whether you do or not. And he sees potential in you, whether others do or not. This was time around a table. It was time with friends. It was a time of sharing. 
In verse 17, he says, share this among yourselves, the cup. In verse 19, he breaks the bread and gives it to them to share again. Now, now notice they are gathered together. So communion isn't for the privacy of a home by yourself. Communion takes place in the gathering of God's people. Communion is to be shared with the family of God. And and at our church here at Harvest, we practice open communion. You may be a first-time guest today. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a part of the family of God. You may not be a member of our church. It doesn't matter. You're a brother and sister in Christ. Partake with us as we remember our Lord together. This time around a table with friends and family and sharing, it was a very special time. And that's what communion is. It is a special time. We are united unlike any other group on the face of the earth. We share this eternal commonality as Christians, as brothers and sisters within the family of God. And we are united in God's family regardless of the different skin colors, regardless of the different ages, regardless of different occupations, regardless of different schools we attend, regardless of different towns we live in around here. We have something very special as the family of God. We have, we have a bond that the world knows nothing of. We are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are what? We're one body. We're one body. For we all partake of one bread. So the most sacred of meals points to God's plan from eternity past and involves the fellowship of friends and the family of God. Thirdly, it reveals the pain of suffering. Would you say that with me? It reveals the pain of suffering. In verse 15, Jesus says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He has this earnest desire, this strong desire. It can literally be translated with desire I have desired. That's how strong it is. He he loves them. He loves you. He, He loves these gathered around the table. He has chosen them and prayed for them and mentored them and taught them and shared meals with them and served them and will soon wash their feet and he will die for them. I have this earnest desire. He loves them. And remarkably, he knows that every single one of them is about to abandon him. And he still loves them. He knows that one will deny him three times. And he still loves them. He knows that one will betray him to death. And he still loves them. I want you to understand, no matter what sin you have committed, he still loves you. He still cares for you. He still loves you. So don't believe the lie of the enemy that says God doesn't love you. This is proof that God loves you. You never have to question the love of God ever again. 
I, I pray this table will draw you back to the Lord. For some of you who've been away from him and making excuses and living in sin, I pray his love will draw you back. Just like that prodigal running into the arms of the Father, I pray that you would run this morning into the arms of God, understanding how much you are loved. The Passover, though, meant pain. He says, I've earnestly desired to eat the Passover. Everything about the Passover was a reminder of sacrifice and death. Countless thousands of lambs are being slaughtered during the Passover week. Every lamb that Jesus sees, every lamb that Jesus hears bleeding, every lamb that Jesus sees being led to the altar is a constant reminder, I am the lamb of God. Every lamb he sees, every lamb he hears, it's a constant reminder of the pain he's going to go through. Maybe ringing in his ears is the reminder of the words of John in John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You will be sacrificed. And then he adds in verse 15, before I suffer. Celebration was on everybody else's mind. We're getting together. We're going to have a big meal. We're going to remember We're going to see friends. We're going to see family. We're in the big city of Jerusalem, the temple. Wow! For everybody else, it was celebration on their mind. For Jesus, it was suffering on his mind. He had predicted his sufferings time and time again, just in the book of Luke alone. Luke 9, 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. Later, he'll be killed. Luke 9, 43 and 4, He's going to be delivered into the hands of men. Luke 17, 25, he must suffer, be rejected by this generation. Luke 18, he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Or or in verse 32, mocked and mistreated and spit upon and scourged and killed. And yes, he'll, he'll rise three days later. But there's going to be pain. There's going to be a pain like no man has ever experienced ever nor ever will. The most sacred of meals reveals the pain of suffering. Next, what I learn is that the most sacred of meals looks forward to a glorious future. Would you say that with me? Looks forward to a glorious future. Twice in this passage, Jesus says, guys, we're getting together again. This isn't the last time. Look at Luke twenty-two sixteen. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. We're getting together again. Verse 18, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Guys, we're getting together again. Communion, yes, it looks back. But it also, that's the microphone, looks forward. Okay? So understand that very clearly. We always see communion pretty much 99.9% of the time looking back, looking back, looking back. Twice in this passage, Jesus says, don't forget to look forward. Don't forget to look forward. When we gather and we partake, yes, we look back at the Lord's sacrifice and his body that was broken and his blood that was shed and his love for us. But look forward, why? Because Jesus is coming back. The king will return. He will rule and reign from this earth as the Messiah. 
I want you to see this clearly. Another well-known communion passage, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Look back until he comes. What's that say? Look forward. You look back and you look forward. This table says look back and this table says look forward. I'm coming back. It's a consistent truth taught in Scripture. Matthew 8, 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Japheth in the kingdom of heaven. Luke 13, 29. They will come from east and west and from north and south and will cry at the table in the kingdom of God. Luke twenty two twenty nine. And just as the Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table. Where? In my kingdom. In my kingdom. So Christian, yes, look back. But also look forward because he's coming back. There is a future table in the future kingdom. And we're not told all of the details of this future Passover or this future communion. We're not told exactly what it looks like. And will our bodies partake of literal food? And do we partake all at once or at different times? And how often is this celebration? But one thing is certain, there will be a memorial of the Lord's sacrifice on our behalf. There will be a memorial. Even in the Old Testament, there is a picture of the millennial temple in Ezekiel. And the Passover is seen as being celebrated. Ezekiel 45, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall have the Passover. This is in the millennial kingdom. A feast of seven days on leavened bread shall be eaten. A memorial to the finished work of Christ. Communion looks back and communion looks forward. And you know what we learn? And I want you to be encouraged that there is more to this life and there is life after life. There is life after this life. There is a coming kingdom of God to this earth and a coming king who will rule and reign. And there is a feast to partake of, this eternal fellowship with the family of God and our Savior. Jesus saw beyond the cross to the kingdom that was coming. I want to encourage you to see beyond any suffering you face in this life. See beyond it to the life to come. Because this life is very short. And this is a fallen world. And we are broken people. And all of us face suffering in different ways at different times. But this isn't everything. It doesn't end here. There is eternity, child of God, in the kingdom of God, with your Savior, and with the people of God. He's coming back. This most sacred of meals next teaches me that he models gratitude in the face of grief. Say that with me. Models gratitude in the face of grief. We see this twice. Look at verse 17. When he had taken the cup and given thanks. Look at verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and what? Given thanks. This is why communion and this table sometimes is called the Eucharist. 
You've heard that term Eucharist or the Eucharist table. Why is it called the Eucharist? Because the word derived from the Greek means gratitude. That's what it means, gratitude. So when you hear Eucharist, it means gratitude because Jesus gave thanks for the cup and Jesus gave thanks for the bread. Do you know what this table screams to me? Thank you, God. That's what this table should scream to you. Thank you, God, for the body of my Savior. Thank you, God, for the blood of my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me from my sins. Thank you, God. That's what this table should scream to you. Thank you, God. That's what this is all about when you come and you partake. Thank you, God. We need to get over our pity parties. We need to get over feeling sorry for ourselves. We need to get our eyes off of, off of ourselves and get our eyes on the table and have it make us look up to heaven and say, thank you, God, I don't deserve anything. Thank you, God, I deserve judgment. Thank you, God, you've saved me. Thank you, God, you've given me grace. Thank you, God, you've given me mercy. Thank you, God, you've loved me. And incredibly, Jesus gives thanks. Now, a couple things here. He, he gives thanks for such simple elements. A cup and bread. A cup and bread. Maybe we should learn to be thankful for what little we have. Even if it's just a cup. And even if it's just a piece of bread. Instead of complaining about all that we don't have. Jesus always gave thanks. If you study his life, you'll see it in the feeding of the 5,000, he gave thanks. In the feeding of the 4,000, he gives thanks. And right before raising Jesus, he, he gives thanks. He, he gives thanks for hiding the truth from the wise. He gives thanks for revealing the truth to the simple. Jesus was a savior filled with gratitude. And he wants people filled with gratitude. We would do well to remember some verses. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Say that to the person next to you. Do all things without grumbling. And then you say it right back at them. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Even those difficult things, give thanks to God for. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know what God's will is for my life, Pastor Scott. Start here. Give thanks to God for whatever difficulty you're going through. All of a sudden, we don't like God's will. Hmm. You want to know God's will? Start being thankful for everything. Start there. Give thanks for the simple elements. And, but even deeper, he gives thanks for the sacrifice of his own life because he holds the cup and he holds the bread. And on each occasion, he gives thanks. He knows what that cup represents. It's his lifeblood that will be poured out. He knows what that bread represents. It's his body that is going to be broken in the most horrific of ways. 
And you know what he's saying? He's saying, thank you. Thank you for what this sacrifice is going to do of my life. Thank you for the salvation it's going to bring for most of you who are gathered here today. Thank you for the countless millions of lost, sinful, broken humans that are without hope that now have hope. He's saying, thank you for the blood and thank you for the body, my body, because they will grant full access, the sacrifice to the throne of God for sinful humanity. Thank you for giving humans eternal life and saving them from eternal death. Thank you. The most sacred of meals models gratitude in the face of grief. The most sacred of meals reminds us of his body broken. Say that with me. Reminds us of his body broken. And that's verse 19. He broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. My body broken. Not his bones broken. No bone of Jesus was broken. The Old Testament lamb in Exodus 12, 46. Nor are you to break any bone of it. Numbers 9, 12. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it. According to all the statutes of the Passover, they shall observe. The prophecy of Psalm 34. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. The words of John 19. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. His body is broken, but never a bone. But his body was broken. How? It was bound by the Romans, blindfolded by those who arrested him, beat by those who arrested him, spit on by the chief priests, elders, and scribes, Blindfolded by the chief elders and scribes, beat with fists, his body was slapped in the face, spit on again in the face, kept up all night, bound by the chief priests, elders, and scribes, stripped of his clothes, scourged and whipped unmercifully. His head was crowned with thorns. He was spit upon again, beat over the head with a reed, carried his own cross after all of the physical torture, and then he was crucified. The open wounds of his back and legs laid on that bare wood. Nails pounded through his hands. Nails pounded into his feet, and his side would eventually be pierced. His body was broken for you. And don't you ever forget it. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He said, I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember what I went through to save you. I want you to remember how much I love you. I want you to remember that I don't want heaven without you. Probably one of my favorite worship songs right now is by Hillsong. It's called What a Beautiful Name. The second stanza, you didn't want heaven without us. Not that he couldn't have heaven without us, but he proved he didn't want it without you. 
You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name. What a wonderful name. What a powerful name. Remember his body. Now, I want you to understand, when he takes the bread and he says, this is my body, the bread is not his actual body. And the cup of wine or the cup of juice is not his actual blood. This is not to be taken literally, but figuratively, symbolically, still very important, still very special. When Jesus said, I am the door, he wasn't actually a door. When Jesus says, this bread is my body, it's not actually his body. And you may say, well, duh, Pastor Scott. Well, there's false teaching out there in churches today. One is called transubstantiationism. And there are believers or those who profess to be believers that say the bread actually becomes the body. And they'll even ring a little bell in the background. Or the juice actually becomes the blood. And then there's another group of believers or churches that hold to consubstantiation. They hold that the body and blood of the Lord is present in and with and under the bread and the juice. And the body and blood is in addition to the bread and wine. No. This is not Jesus' body and blood. And it doesn't magically become Jesus' body and blood. It is figurative. It is symbolic. But it is still very important. The most sacred of meals points to God's plan from eternity past and involves the fellowship of friends and family, reveals the pain of suffering, looks forward to a glorious future, models gratitude in the face of grief, reminds us of the body, his body broken, and finally reminds us of his blood poured out. Say it with me. Reminds us of his blood poured out. And in verse 20, he takes up the second element, the cup. And after they had eaten, he says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now notice the cup is poured out, meaning it will be a complete sacrifice. Nothing will be held back. Matthew 26 expounds on this, verse 28, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. This is a blood sacrifice which is necessary for forgiveness Hebrews 9.22, and according to the law, one may also say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is what? There's no forgiveness. So the cup is poured out, and then he says, this cup is poured out for you. This is the theological terminology of substitutionary atonement. Jesus took your place. Jesus took my place. He was our substitute. Jesus took my punishment. Jesus took your punishment. The innocent died for the guilty. The innocent, holy, and pure son of the living God died for me, who, am, who is guilty, died for you, who are guilty. We see this substitutionary atonement in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, 5 and 12. 
He was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging we are healed. Because he poured out himself to death, he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. We see this in the New Testament being taught. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I am not righteous. You are not righteous. But because Jesus took all of my sin upon himself, now God looks at me as he would his own son. And God looks at you as he would Jesus. If you have received the gift of salvation, your sins have been paid for in full. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins, where? In his body, where? On the cross, so that we might die to sin, not continue in sin, not take advantage of God's grace, die to sin, Christian. Stop living in sin, Christian. Stop making excuses for sin, Christian. Die to your sin, and do not live in that which Jesus paid the penalty for but live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. This cup was poured out. This cup was poured out for you. And then he says this cup is the new covenant. Jesus ended the old covenant with all of its rituals and all of its ceremony and sacrifices and the priests and the holy of holies. That that veil will be torn in two, and everyone will be given access And he's fulfilled it all. Jesus' death is the institute of a new covenant with all of the benefits and all of the blessings of the covenant. The, the, The blessings and benefits and promise of forgiveness and the promise of the Holy Spirit and the promise of heaven. The cup poured out. Poured out for you. The cup is a new covenant. And then he says the cup is a blood covenant. God says, I am making a blood covenant with you. Old Testament covenants were ratified with the blood of animals. The new covenant is ratified with a human sacrifice. God does believe in human sacrifice. And he was the sacrifice. And he said, I'm making a blood covenant with you. I will die for you so that you can be saved. I will die for you so that you can be forgiven all the sins you've ever committed. I will die for you so that you can have access to heaven. I will die for you so that you don't die eternal death, but that now you will have eternal life. And the only way that I and you could be saved is by a perfect, sinless, holy sacrifice. And the sacrifice had to be human because I am human, and so are you. But the sacrifice had to be holy and perfect, and there is no holy, perfect human. So God became a man to give his body and blood to save me and to save you. This is the most sacred of meals. It points to God's plan from eternity past and involves the fellowship of friends and family. 
It reveals the pain of suffering and looks forward to a glorious future. It models gratitude in the face of grief and reminds us of his body broken and it reminds us of his blood poured out. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.